Hey everyone, welcome to episode 64 of the Practicology Podcast with Mike and Matthew. We appreciate you being a part of our lives as we help make the Bible part of yours. Mike, I know I'm supposed to be leading today's episode. I want to lead off by asking you a question. Is that all right? I'm, I'm all game. Have you done much building or renovation work? Yeah, I've done a lot. My dad's a carpenter and I used to work for him uh, probably every year, every summer since I was six years old. So oh. yeah, I've done a fair bit. Okay, you're way ahead of me in that then for sure. But tell me something. Tell me something that is absolutely vital in construction. Something you know you won't have a long-lasting building without. Well, I'm gonna have to reach deep here into my knowledge, but uh, I would say a foundation is absolutely vital. Thank you. You're doing well so far, and this is a Bible teaching podcast, not an HGTV podcast. So let me ask you: What is the foundation of a local church? The Lord Jesus Christ. You're doing excellent so far. And this is exactly what the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In episode 62, we looked at the local church as God's field, like a garden, not a flesh factory, but a farm where he wants to grow fruit. Today, I'm back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul also compares the church to a building. No, the church isn't literally a building. It is a group of people who are gathered together to worship God and serve one another in love. But one of the metaphors of the church is a building. And there is one particular type of building that is specially in mind that we're going to see. All right. Well, let me read those scriptures for you in 1 Corinthians 3, Matthew. Uh, it says, you are God's field and God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The structural integrity of any building depends on the strength of its foundation. Even though you may see little or nothing of your house's foundation, if it isn't done rightly, you can be sure that the rest of the building is going to have problems. The foundation is key. The foundation of the building that is the church, verses 10 to 11, is Jesus Christ, as you've just read, Mike. The only foundation for a church of God is Jesus Christ. Paul laid that foundation in his 18 plus months of evangelism and teaching in Corinth, recorded in Acts chapter 18. And back in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians here, Paul reflects on that time. He says, I declare to you the gospel of God. I knew nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Christ and his gospel are the foundation of every true church. And I think it is the Baptist theologian D.A. Carson who said, if you are building on a different foundation than Jesus Christ, then you're not building the church of God. That's good. If you're building on a different foundation than Jesus Christ, then you're not building the church of God. The church would be nothing apart from Christ. So don't forget the foundation. And I'm so thankful that we give ourselves a very practical reminder of the foundation of the local church every Sunday morning. The foundation is Jesus Christ and him crucified. What do we do every Sunday morning? We proclaim the Lord's death. We preach the gospel to ourselves. We talk about the Lord Jesus in our prayers. We sing about him in our hymns and we declare our fellowship with one another and in the body and blood of Christ through taking the bread and the cup. That's very wise. We're reminding ourselves of the foundation, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Yeah, amen, Matthew. And, and you mentioned the word wise there. Uh, it's wise to remember the foundation and and uh, the Lord himself associates wisdom with building on good foundations, right? The wise man 
I mean, we all sang the song in Sunday school, the wise man built his house upon the rock and the foolish man built his house on the sand. And, and in the passage that I read from 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10, the ESV says that, has, has Paul saying, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. But the footnote uh, for the word skilled says, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. And the New King James uh, uh, translates it that way as well, wise master builder. And that use of the word wise or wisdom is very important in the context of 1 Corinthians because the first two chapters have Paul attacking the wisdom of the world and contrasting it with the wisdom of God that is seen in the folly of the cross. So it's like he's saying, I didn't lay the foundation of that church with the wisdom of men, even though that is what the natural minds of Corinth wanted. Paul's saying, instead, I brought you the wisdom of God. Awesome. Thank you. That's good. And when he speaks of himself as the master builder, he's not thinking so much of the carpenter with that word, but of the architect or the engineer. So the phrase doesn't emphasize his labor to plant the church, although he did labor much, but his strategy. And as you said, being a wise master builder meant his strategy was to rely on the wisdom of God, which brothers and sisters starts at the cross so he's saying, I established this building on the firm foundation of the message of the cross, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's how the building started. That's how the foundation was laid. Don't forget the foundation because how the building started is a key in knowing how the building is going to grow. So let's think now about additions to the building. Well, you're the perfect man for the job, Matthew. I know you've got some big rentals coming up at the house you're moving into. And I, I believe there's some renos happening, ongoing at, at your literal church building. So you're the right man to talk to us about building additions. I know you know me better than that. It's not my natural bent, but I did. I married into a clan of renovators. The first thing Esther's father said when he came into our first home, he said, yeah, this is good. Uh, you could take that wall out there. <laughs> and I was like, what? Take the wall out? We just bought this place. Why would we ever do such a thing? But our children with that McClellan DNA hardwired into their nature, that good DNA, they, they actually love to accompany their siblings to the dentist's office now because the dentist's waiting room TV is always tuned into HGTV. They love that. And I'm very thankful for that McClellan DNA. It has produced many good ideas and any improvements and additions that we've made and are planning their credit to Esther and not to me. House renovations and additions can be stressful. And while additions to the metaphorical building we're talking about today, that is the church, they can also be a little stressful for some. Isn't it a wonderful thing when there are additions to the church? First mm -hmm. Peter 2 also uses the metaphor of a building being constructed. It says, as you come to Christ, the living stone, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, some suggest that the present tense of coming to Christ implies believers repeatedly coming to Christ and growing stronger? Maybe, but I rather think Peter uses that present tense to describe a stream of sinners coming to Christ for salvation and being added to the building. Wouldn't it be nice to be visited by that stream again in your local church, beloved? Wouldn't it be nice to see more dead sinners becoming living stones and forming a part of the greatest building project taking place on planet Earth? Christ is building his church. It's like a massive building. 
And every time a sinner trusts Christ, it is like adding another stone to that building. So the building is growing. Now, 1 Corinthians 3, where we read, is focused on admittedly a smaller building project, the local church, but they are connected. And we should want to see additions to that building. We should want to see sinners being saved and subsequently added to the local church fellowship. Part of building on the foundation of Jesus Christ is to keep working at the gospel of Jesus Christ and spreading that gospel. It is a healthy challenge for any local church to incorporate new stones from different backgrounds into this one united building. I think there's another connection between 1 Peter 2 and 1 Corinthians 3 also. Before someone is added to the building of the local church, they need to be a living stone in the spiritual house of 1 Peter 2. That's part of building on the right foundation of Christ and him crucified. If that individual isn't built upon the right foundation themselves, if they're not a true living stone, then respectfully, they shouldn't be a member in the building of a local church. The building of the local church, I'm talking, I'm still using that term metaphorically, it is to be composed only of living stones. Now, the building where the church meets, of course, we should warmly welcome unbelievers there. Let us invite them in. Let us seek them out and meet them and greet them and befriend them. Welcome them not only as visitors, but as our privileged guests in the literal building in which the church meets. But the figurative building of the church itself is exclusively a place for living stones. It's God's holy temple. It's for members of the holy priesthood. It is called God's household. It is for brothers and sisters in the family of God. It's called a flock. It is for sheep that have returned to the shepherd and overseer of their souls. It's called a building, and it's for living stones. We have every right and responsibility to seek some evidence of conversion in people that we receive into the church fellowship. Secondly, if people come to your local church and they are already a living stone and they want to be part of your local church, that's a good thing. Be thankful for that. Please don't treat believers from other places as if they are some kind of moral leper. Lord of mercy. If the local church is God's field and God's building, we should want others from God's family to be a part of it. And of course, reception to church fellowship is a two-way street. They need to be willing to embrace us, and we need to be willing to embrace them. That's fellowship. It's mutual. That's how people get included in the building. I think it is E.W. Rogers, whom I heard on a recording, say, when it comes to the question of receiving people into the local church, we shouldn't be trying to find a way to exclude people. We should be trying to find a way we can make this work. Amen. But they must be a living stone. And if you want to gradually kill a desire for clear gospel preaching in the church, add people to your church whom have never repented. If you want the church to be governed by worldly wisdom, advocate for unbelievers to become part of the church. No, of course not. We want living stones. Matthew, can I just ask you there, so you're emphasizing the need for them to be a living stone, uh, truly saved to become part of the church. Would you also say that baptism is a prerequisite for church fellowship? I would, yes. Baptism is not a man-made barrier to reception. It is a biblical prerequisite. Only people of faith are to be received, and baptism is their declaration of faith. It's a public identification with Christ. Well, why does someone want to publicly identify with the church without wanting to identify with Christ? 
Why should a church of Christ want to embrace someone who doesn't want to embrace Christ in their baptism? I would say that would be weakening the building. The building will grow stronger with living stones. And again, beloved, let us labor to see more people becoming living stones. Let us labor to see living stones attracted to and added to the local building. The foundation of the building, Jesus Christ. The additions to the building, living stones. And the subsequent verses in 1 Corinthians 3 teach us about the beautification of the building. They read, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Yeah, so we're we're on to the topic of the beautification of the building now. But uh, Matthew, I think you'd agree, even here, we, we haven't left the, the thought of the foundation, have we? Uh, the, the text says that we're building on the foundation. So in the ongoing construction work in the local church, making this a beautiful building in God's eyes, we still have to keep the foundation in mind. That foundation gives us the character for the building, and the foundation is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So that means that the gold and silver and precious stones that can be added to this building all need to reflect the teaching that flows out of the gospel of the grace of God, which of course is what the whole New Testament is. Sometimes the teaching that can be brought to a local church, or maybe it's just the attitude that accompanies the teaching, well, sometimes it's, it's of the flesh. It reflects the natural man and not the spiritual man. It is the wisdom of the world instead of the wisdom that is from above. And it's just stubble and straw. And one day God is going to burn it all up, but God will reward you for the gold, the silver, the precious stones that you invest into his building teaching and attitudes and practices that are consistent with the foundation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good stuff. Thanks, Mike. Now, I said at the beginning of the podcast that there was a particular type of building that was specially on Paul's mind here, and now that becomes clear in the text, and that is the temple. In fact, there's only one other time in scripture you read about a foundation being laid, then precious metals invested into that building, and that's Solomon's temple. And that's in the background of Paul's thoughts here in episode 62. When we looked at the church as a garden, we pointed out how the garden and temple imagery blend together in Scripture. And that's happening again here in 1 Corinthians 3. Yeah, so let me just read those next verses then. Uh, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. I love that comparison. The church is God's temple. It's interesting to me that Solomon's temple wasn't actually particularly ornate or outrageously beautiful from the outside, but when you stepped inside, it was gold everywhere on the inside. The cost, the dollar value of that temple, billions and billions of today's dollars worth in gold and silver, has no comparison in any contemporary buildings. Was it worth it? Well, that's the same as asking, is God worth it? Because that building that I just called Solomon's temple was actually God's temple. Under the old covenant in an era where there was more focus upon the material and physical, it was entirely worth it to put that much gold, silver, precious stones into a building. And God is worth more than all the gold and silver and everything else in the world. So let's get a hold of verse 16 here, beloved. You are God's temple. 
verse 17, you are that temple. I know that local churches have taken a hit over the past couple of years in particular. But let's remember that group of believers that you meet with, that group is God's temple. The local church is a very special building project. It's worth a lot to God, and it should be worth a lot to you and me. It's worth our investing into it. It's valuable. It's not just a factory. It's not a warehouse. It's not someone's backyard shed. It is God's temple, and God's temple is holy. We've thought about the foundation of the building, additions to the building, beautification of the building. I want to finish with with just a warning about the potential destruction of the building. Mike read that warning a couple minutes ago. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy. How do you destroy God's temple? Well, of course, there are different ways you could accomplish such an ignoble feat, but in the context of 1 Corinthians 3, the focus is that the church can be destroyed by fleshly factions and division. Is that a relevant warning? The beginning and end of this chapter bear that out, I think, that that's the issue. So before Paul deals with other issues in Corinth, like sexual promiscuity and misunderstandings about headship in the church, the abuse of the gift of tongues and bad doctrine that attacked the resurrection, before any of that, the church of God in Corinth was at risk of being destroyed by fleshly factions and division. Factions that develop around different teachers or different individuals in the church is deadly. Now, that could be various preachers, could be opposing elders, could be influential sisters. And if influential brothers or sisters are feeding that factional thinking, they're behaving in a very fleshly, immature way. And if other believers are contributing to that divisive mindset, they're behaving in a fleshly, immature way. Verse 3 of this chapter tells us that jealousy and strife are sure to result. I'm not very old, so I'm not reflecting yet on 50 years of church fellowship, but just at my relatively young age, it doesn't take much work to think of multiple local churches that have suffered as a result of this sort of thing. And listeners, you can't take the viewpoint that, hey, because because your local church is a good, strong assembly and you're holding on to the truth of God, therefore that couldn't happen in your church. Well, let me tell you something. You're human. We're all human. And it can happen. It was happening in the church of God in Corinth, and it's there in Scripture as a warning to us. I remember a story my father-in-law told me that I think he heard from Albert McShane. And Albert McShane, I think it's when he was uh, a young man walking with an older man in through a town and uh, pointed out a building. And Mr. McShane said, didn't there used to be a, isn't there a, a thriving local church there? And the man said, well, there used to be. And the young man said to the older brother, well, what happened there? And the older man replied, ah, to tell you the truth, we just fought it to death. We fought it to death and it was destroyed. Now listen to these intense words in Proverbs 6. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, points with his finger, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. One is the one who sows discord among brothers. 
So one of the main ways that I could be behaving irreverently in the temple of God is by contributing to division. Lord, preserve us. That would be destroying God's holy temple. Hard for the building to remain strong and be held intact when the stones are chipping away at each other. Remember the Lord's words in Luke 11, a house divided against itself falls. You want to throw a grenade into God's holy temple? You rise up in support of one leader and set him in opposition to others. You want to chip away at the building blocks of the local church? Form little little cliques. Whisper criticisms about others who don't see things like you. Exclude them from your friendships. That's the building being destroyed by dividing what God has brought together. Matthew, <clears throat> uh, this is solemn stuff, and you've alluded to uh, these two kinds of wisdom, wisdom of God, wisdom of the world. James does the same thing, uh, the wisdom from above, the wisdom from below, and uh, the kind of behavior that does damage the church and that you've been describing, James says, is a demonic wisdom. It's, it's, it's from hell. Hmm. So uh, it's so serious. But thank you for this teaching, for the practical warnings. Uh, just wondering, do you have something a little bit more positive to, to close this off with? I got two positive things. One is next episode, I know we're going to be talking, Mike, under your leadership about the subject of friendship. And I'm looking forward to that because I, I just mentioned that, uh, you know, one of the ways we cause division is excluding our brothers and sisters from our friendship. So you're going to give us some good counsel about friendship. I'm looking forward to that. The other thing I would say is, hey, let's make sure we're builders and not destroyers. Keeping at the work of the gospel is a great preservative for infighting, by the way. Helps you remember the foundation. Helps you remember what that local church is all about, what it's resting on. And if you do see a little blessing in the gospel, then you'll tend to find grace to overlook the problems that you may have had with everyone else. The gospel brings us together in one building, living stones in the one temple. So remember the foundation. Keep your eye on Christ and your heart soft to the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified and live in the good of that gospel with your brothers and sisters who have the same foundation as you. Excellent. Thank you, Matthew. That's a great note to close on. Uh, we've, we've covered the church as a beautiful garden. Uh, and, and now in this episode, in this series, the church as a very special building, God's temple. Well, let's all uh, finish this episode resolving to be builders, as Matthew says, and not destroyers. Thank you for joining us on the Practicology Podcast, and, uh, and we'll be with you again next week. Have a great day, everyone.